<laughs> well, good morning. Well, for those of, the, of you that don't know me, I'm Larry Annis. I um, appreciate Pastor John uh, allowing me to come and share the Word of God with you uh, this, uh, this morning. Um, I, hope, uh, I hope you had a great uh, Thanksgiving. I, I know not all of you did, but um, uh, uh, it's, um, it's one of, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite holidays. It's nice to get together with uh, the family, but more, more than that, uh, Thanksgiving is a time of reflection, a time to just how we are blessed, blessed as a people, uh, blessed uh, to have a relationship uh, with uh, God. And it's amazing that we can go directly, directly to our Heavenly Father. We need no priest. We need no prophet. We have the privilege because of what Jesus did on our behalf to go directly to him. And as, um, as we gather uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we get to hear his word. Um, we get to fellowship. Uh, and, and I just wanna say how God has, has blessed you all, uh, blessed you with this this church, in this community. Uh, what an opportunity lies before you uh, here in Dallas, Oregon. Uh, I, I'm just amazed uh, what, what God has, has, has done and what he's going to do uh, in, uh, with, uh, with you all. Um, <clears throat> Pastor John, Cindy, Carla, uh, Jordan, we were at the Northwest Baptist Convention a couple of weeks ago at the Great Wolf Lodge in Grand Monde. Um, it, was, um, it was a good time uh, to be uh, with uh, uh, other uh, people who are working in the Northwest. It's just a time of uh, encouragement. Just as being here with you is a time of encouragement for, uh, for me. But we, had, um, we were able uh, to hear uh, a couple speakers, one from Ukraine and one from Russia. Uh, interesting um, here uh, their common belief in Christ these um, these, these congregations uh, as um, dealing with uh, the, the war in Ukraine uh, the Ukrainians tended to talk about the, the suffering and the hardship that they're going through and the sacrifices and loss our Russian preacher he was can I say uncomfortable? <laughs> uncomfortable that here, um, the place where he was born um, in this unjust war. But here's what he said, and uh, it was such an encouragement uh, to me. He goes, I I'm not here as, as a Russian. I'm here as a, a, a brother in Christ. And I'm gonna fall back on the word of God and I'm gonna preach the word of God. And gave a wonderful uh, message uh, with that. Um, 
Randy Adams uh, gave the closing message and it was wonderful. The whole theme was on the promises of God, that God is faithful in keeping his promise. And we need that reminder as the world darkens around us. We need that reminder. Um, and that our hope, as the songs have said, our only hope is in Jesus Christ. So what I love is as the service has unfolded, it's like my sermon gets preached for me. So, you know, thank you. Um, so Advent, the arrival. Um, by the way, I didn't do Advent until I came to the Northwest. I've been in Baptist churches all my adult life, and um, uh, I was just surprised. What's this thing called Advent? Uh, and uh, uh, I guess I've, I've grown accustomed to it because we need to remember Remember God's faithfulness, what he's done in the past and what he's going to do. Uh, and so we anticipate with these four weeks, we celebrate God, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, right? God has not left us in darkness. I, I, I love the, the, the Isaiah passage, right? We who live in the land of deep darkness, right? A light has shined to us, and that's what God has done. He has sent his one and only son. And so we want to anticipate over this next month what God has done and what God is going to do. Um, God is going to make all things right. Jesus said that he would return um, again. This is a time that we let every heart prepare to make room in our cluttered lives. There's so much noise around us. I'm a news junkie, and sometimes that noise, gotta shut it off and connect with God, knowing that he is faithful and he is good. So in week one, we're gonna talk about hope. Week two is love, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Um, we're gonna change up Advent a little bit, and I appreciate Pastor John doing that. Um, normally, it's joy and peace, not peace and joy. Um, but um, um, I, God willing, in a month, I'll return and we'll talk about joy, because as Christians, our lives should be a life that is filled with joy. But peace is what God has done for us. Uh, he has broken down that wall, that wall of separation, that we don't need a priest, that we don't need a prophet. Um, we can have direct access. That's what Jesus did uh, for us. And so, this morning, we do echo the declaration of the angels to the shepherds that said, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news and great joy to all people. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this Advent season, Lord, as we, as we anticipate uh, and remember 
your faithfulness. Lord, how is it that you had pity upon us? Thank you for calling us your people. And Lord, as Thanksgiving has just passed, Lord, help us to be a people that are thankful, filled with gratitude. You have made us for yourself. And in, in our filthiness, you came and saved us. Lord, thank you that you loved us that much. But Lord, also we need to remember that while you've saved us, you have given us one another as you bring us together as a people. Lord, help us to be that thankful people and thankful for those that you bring into our lives, knowing that each person bears your image, no matter how broken. And as we set our sights on Christmas, we remember, we remember the great cost to yourself you had pity to come and be among us. You have torn down that wall that separated us. Thank you for your words. Sink it deep, deep, deep into our hearts. Lord, help us not to be just hearers of the word, but doers. We ask your blessing upon this time. This time is yours. Let us set aside distractions, that would take our attention from you, from your word. For these few moments, Lord, just may we hear you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got your Bibles, your devices, uh, let's, uh, let's go to uh, Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to read um, verse 1 and part of verse 2. So we're going to shadow uh, the, the, what Jesus did uh, in the synagogue when uh, he picked up the scroll. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now these are words of hope. These were written in the 8th century before Christ, 700 years before. This is a time when Isaiah is prophesying and it is a time of high drama. King Uzziah, King Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and evil Manasseh. These were the kings at the time Isaiah writes. 
And it reminds us that in good times, as in Hezekiah's time, and in evil times when Manasseh reigned, God was still faithful. God was still on his throne. Isaiah continued to bring God's word. Now, if you remember, Hezekiah was that faithful king who did not end well. Pride got the better of him. And then his son completely turned from God. And he did horrible, horrible things. Witchcraft, idolatry. He brought the nation down dark and dangerous paths. This is the drama that Isaiah speaks. But I wonder, these words of hope, read for hundreds of years in synagogues, such hopeful and gracious words of anticipation that God would one day send his anointed, his Messiah. And the centuries passed. Did their hope waver? We can look back now. And if anything was going to happen, it wasn't going to happen fast. I know, because I want fast. I want now. God, do you see the injustice now? Aren't you gonna come now? Right, especially in those times of desperations, yet the nation, right, written 700 years, would face the Babylonian captivity, Assyrian domination, Greek domination, and then when Jesus finally comes on the scene, it's the Romans that were the occupying force. You could lament with the nation of their national humiliation. This was Israel's captivity. Hope is an important part of our lives. It's how God made us. You've heard the term, hope springs eternal. Well, hope can be elusive and a nebulous kind of thing. Right, if, if you look at the, the dictionary definition, right, it's this desire of something to come to pass. That anticipation of a better day. Hope is something we want to happen. Something that we want to be true. But like all human beings, we really get this hope thing all messed up. Because we hope for things that are impossible or extremely unlikely. In recent days, there was a billion dollar lottery. There were a lot of people hoping. A lot of people were hoping to win that lottery. But hope needs to be founded first upon truth, then upon knowledge, and then the object of our hope 
that has the power to actually make it happen. In my work, in my line of work, um, I gotta say it's a miracle that anything works. It's so very complex, so many variables to keep track of, and things often go wrong. Machines break down, and machines sorta kinda work. I've had to go to customers and to management and talk about repair plans. In these meetings I've said, well, I hope it works. <laughs> and I've had this screamed at me, hope is not a strategy, right? Hope is not a plan for success. But here comes the rub, I immortal. I only know part of the truth. And my knowledge, I only know part of it. And the power to make those repairs, I only have in part. Therefore, my statement stands. I hope it works. But I want to dive a little deeper into our Isaiah passage. Hope is looking for that better day. Isaiah 61.1 in the first part says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Four words in Hebrew. Ruach Adonai Elohim Alai. What is remarkable about these words that we know that the Spirit of God was not going to dwell with men because we're, we're fallen. Right? To be in God's presence meant certain death. In Exodus 20, verses 18 and 19. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled in fear. They stayed at a distance and the people said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Now I find these verses interesting because it's such a failure of courage. Even though God had showed them his power and had delivered them, they go from this fear and, and, and terror of the Egyptians to this fear and terror of God. And then they say, just don't have God speak directly to us. We'll listen to Moses. But it doesn't take long for things to really go sideways. And these same people are ready to kill Moses and Aaron. This is what's in the human heart, this only if. If only, if God doesn't talk directly to us, then we won't be afraid, but, but we will listen. And as Scott reminded us, 
There had been 400 years of silence between the last prophet and the time John the Baptist comes on the scene. God has not spoken, not even through a prophet. Do you wonder where Israel's hope was in that silence? And when it comes time for Jesus to begin his ministry, right, we, we read in, in, in Luke that all the people were being baptized and Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying and heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily, form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old as he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph the son of Heli. And then Luke goes into the genealogy of Jesus. Think about this, it had been 30 years since those amazing stories of Jesus' birth, right? Of, of, of Herod's jealousy and, and, and pursuing the Christ child, their flight to Jesus, their, the, the flight of Jesus to Egypt, um, his return to Nazareth where he grew up to be a carpenter. Who still remembered? Well, certainly Mary did. Yeah, the angels declaring the good news to the shepherd. Was there even an anticipation? Were the words of Simeon and Anna in the temple, those words they spoke over Jesus, were they still remembered? So many years had passed, so many centuries, and disappointment. Where was their hope? And yet God was finally going to act. And it was according to his timeline. Paul says this in Galatians 4.4, that at the right time, or in the fullness of time, or when the time was ripe, God sent his son Romans 5, 6, Paul says this, that when, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for sinners. So as we go a little bit further down the road, on Isaiah 61, 1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. It is you and I who are the ones impoverished. We bring nothing but our brokenness to a good and gracious God. We bring our sin and it has made us poor and it has shackled us. This is what God did in Christ that a day was coming where we would hear the good news and the prison doors would be open. John the Baptist was preparing the way. And what was his message? Turn from sin. Turn from your sin. Turn towards God. That's a message 
that you and I need this morning. That's what Dallas, Oregon needs. That, that's what Oregon needs. That's what our nation needs. That's what the world needs. That we would turn from sin and turn to who can only bring us hope, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can solve our deepest problems. I wanna talk about this what if game. My son Samuel works at a jewelry shop, and you know, um, he works there a couple days a week, and the adults tend to be of the older crowd. They're elderly. Well, they can be kind of, well, grumpy. <laughs> they can be grumpy, they can be rude. Uh, they tend to be impatient and demanding. My son called me uh, just the other week upset um, how, uh, yeah, um, just, just really f frustrated. But one of the patrons made this statement. The problem with our country is that our kids don't know how to write cursive. <laughs> now, my son is left-handed and his writing is atrocious. He does know how to write cursive, but it's atrocious. He always says that, uh, well, you guys were right-handed. You did your best, but uh, you, know, you didn't know how to deal with lefties. <clears throat> but he saw through the thinness of their argument. But he was outnumbered three against one, and, and one of them was his boss. And so he decided to hold his tongue, which is very difficult for my son but he knew it would result in him probably getting fired for a contrary view. But this what if game, I've, I've heard it before, right? We just heard it. We'll listen to God if you don't speak to us directly. And then I've, I've heard it if we only have clean drinking water. That'll solve our problems. I, I've, I've heard this, this argument. If we had clean air, right, no more war, and then it continues to morph. If we only had the right kind of education, then we're gonna do the right thing. Randy Adams shared with us how some people believe that the problem with the world is us people who believe in Christ. And if we were out of the way, if the church was out of the way, then all our problems would be solved. Do you see where this is gonna go for us? But one thing that Randy says is that we have an eternal hope. We have the hope that they're looking for, those who do not believe in Christ justice, mercy, eternal life. 
I'll go to one of my favorite authors, um, G.K. Chesterton, in his sarcasm, sarcasm talks about uh, the case for heredity and environment in the defense of the aristocracy. If clean homes and clean air make for clean souls, why not give the power to those who undoubtedly have the clean air? If better conditions will make the poor more fit to govern themselves, why should not better conditions already make the rich fit to govern them? Chesterton says that the danger isn't in man's environment, but it's in man himself. The problem is with us. It's on the inside. What makes for a clean soul? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So Jesus opens the scroll and he reads Isaiah 61. And I'm gonna read it for us again. The spirit of the Lord was upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken heart, hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's it. God is going to act now. After 400 years of silence, after 700 plus years since Isaiah said these words. In verse 22, of Luke 4, it says, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Man, if it could just stop there, it'd be great. But it doesn't. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Right, I mean, can you imagine the, the tension in the synagogue, with all the eyes that are fixed on him. What is going to happen next? But did they really appreciate who they had in their presence? Not at all. Did they think for a moment that the kingdom of God was about to break through? Right, that they had already heard its distant rumblings? Had they heard the rumor that Jesus might be a prophet, a miracle worker, possibly the Messiah? Was it spreading through the region? But, but let's say that they were skeptical. They had seen Jesus growing up. They had seen that he was a carpenter. Perhaps they did see him as somebody ordinary and simple. But was there a distant memory of what happened 30 years ago? Had hope died in them? 
had the rumor reached them of Jesus' baptism, was it reported to anyone? Clearly there was surprise, but something goes wrong very quickly. Very quickly. It goes on, and Jesus said, you know, surely, you know, he, he just says, you know, a prophet's not accepted in his own hometown. But he goes on and says, I tell you that there were widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And then Jesus says, there were many leopards in Israel at the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them were cleansed. Only Naaman, the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of a hill which the town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through the midst, he went away. I wonder if they stopped to ask, wow, what happened here? Just, just saying. But you go from these gracious words to people thinking well of him to wanting to kill him. Maybe some of them could have thought, is this the time? Did they think they needed to go to God's defense? Could they have taken a wait and see attitude? I think part of the answer is that we say to ourselves, we got it figured out. And we got God figured out. And we know what he's gonna do and we know how he's going to do it. Hey, I've met these people. I've met good, sincere Christians have told me exactly how the end is gonna happen. I mean, uh, they say, yeah, we've got this figured out. Yes, Jesus is coming back. But to think that we understand how we're going to navigate a world, I thought Jesus would come back when I was a young man as well. And here I am, 60 years old. What happened? I guess I don't have God figured out. But his promises are sure. And that's what I want you to walk away, that our hope in God is not futile. He has the solutions to our problems. I do want to take a moment to comment about what Jesus didn't say in those scriptures. In verse two, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He stopped right in the middle. 
of the sentence, though Hebrew has no punctuation, just saying. And the day of the vengeance of our God. He didn't say that. It wasn't time. It wasn't yet. Justice is coming. And it's a fearful thing. God has given this time, this thing called the church age. It's a time of repentance. It's a time of God's grace poured out. And the day is coming when it closes. Two questions this morning. Where is your hope? And in whom is your hope? As we conclude this first week of Advent, hope is an essential part of life. It's an essential part of our faith. Hope is looking for that better day. And that's what God promises to his followers, to those who know Jesus. As believers in Christ, we possess true hope. True hope that a fallen, broken world really wants and longs for. The hope for that day when every tear will be wiped away. When we will see him face to face. We hope for that day when we will be with him in heaven and those that have known him that have gone before us, the redeemed of God. Where's your hope this morning? To those who don't know Jesus, um, we would invite you this morning to come along with us in this journey to discover who Jesus is, the work that he is doing in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And it begins by saying, Lord, I've sinned against you and I put my trust in you. I put my trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, I want to be part of your family. If you make that decision this morning, talk to Pastor John, Scott, or the elders of the church. Don't keep that decision to yourself. It's meant to be shared. For those of us who know Jesus, Jesus is the reason for the season. Let's uh, keep ourselves focused and anticipating um, what God is going to do in us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, gosh, thank you for your word. Lord, it's, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like a drink of cold water to someone who's dying of thirst. Lord, thank you for the pity that you have had on us, those who do not deserve it. Thank you for sending your one and only Son into the darkness of this troubled world. Thank you for the true hope that we have 
in Jesus Christ. And Lord, um, to those who are on the fence this morning, Lord, we would pray that they would cross over and make that decision for you and put their hope in you, that they would not delay. Praying, Lord, I have sinned against you. Lord, I put my trust and hope in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. And Lord, for us who know you, help us to lay down the weapons of the enemy. And when we are tempted to pick them up, Lord, that we would remember you have a better way. Grow in each of us the fruit of your spirit. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.